afraid of pleasure mm. and how how can we imagine moving toward a faith a spirituality that that acknowledges how all people are sexual and therefore and it's part of the body and pleasure and the body and sex and sexuality are actually sacred beautiful things to be celebrated honored and and really and revered actually yeah so i think it's really interesting because i took a course in theology school um called theology of the body which was not uh if those are familiar with john paul ii it's not his text on the theology of the body but it was looking at the history of how theologians have talked about the body from the Bible all the way up to the present day. And when we read Augustine's writings on the body, I was prepared for it to be deeply scathing of human, the human body. And there are definitely parts of his writings that are definitely demonizing of the body. But Augustine is one of those writers that, or one of those theologians that was around at this time when these heresies of like saying the body is evil were happening. And so he has a lot of understandings that the body is holy and he talks about the body being holy and our bodies being sacred. But I think what's happened is that it's really hard in our culture in, not in our, just our culture, in the world, it takes a lot more heavy theology to reconcile the idea of greed and indulgence with sacred enjoyment of the pleasures of this world. It takes a lot more spiritual investigation. And I won't, let's not even talk about sex. Let's talk about like eating a chocolate cake. It takes a lot more personal investigation to understand, am I going to eat this entire cake because... I really want something sweet. I want to enjoy this. I'm so happy that sweets exist. It's going to be like almost an act of worship and celebration that beautiful things in this world exist. Or am I eating this because uh, I don't want to stop because I have a, a limited understanding of what I'm, what I'm doing and experiencing pleasure on autopilot, experiencing life on autopilot versus experiencing life intentionally. And that takes a lot more work. And I think, quite frankly, I think we've gotten to a space very early on in the church history of lazy theology, mm -hmm. where it's much easier to, uh, to just have people come to church and sit down 
And if we're talking about, you know, you know, pre-Protestant Reformation, uh, eat their wafer, have their wine and go and like, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Like you're done. <laughs> instead, <laughs> instead of I, I'm just having people laughing that in a podcast about purity culture, you referred to communion as a wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. I just have to. <laughs> have to Gracious. Okay, continue. <laughs> um, but um, so I think that it's just gotten, it gets really hard. And I think that there's fear that if we empower a community with a deeper understanding of theology outside of the surface, then they might start thinking for themselves. And if they start thinking for themselves, they can't, they, 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 then they can't be controlled as much on, on the worst side. On the best side, it's just, it's really hard to educate an entire congregation that potentially can't read, that potentially can't, again, pre-Protestant Reformation, that doesn't have the time or the energy to sit down and study these things. So people are just listening to whatever their priest or pastor are telling them. And not every priest or pastor, as you alluded to in the beginning, necessarily has all the answers. And so I think there were a lot of people who just got confused. There's a lot of just serious confusion on what it really means to, to honor the body as a sacred part of our, part of our divinity. Amen, sister. That is great. And, you know, as a pastor, I would want to say that alienating people from their bodies and disempowering people by abusing one's authority in that way and shaming people, alienating people from their bodies and disempowering them by shaming their sexuality, shaming their connection to their, to, to the pleasure in their bodies. That is an abuse of power and it's a great way to control people. That's why uh, I certainly think purity culture is unethical. In the autumn of her junior year in high school, a young woman joined a church and dedicated her life to Christianity. But what she didn't know was that this would lead her down a path of oppression and shame, all in the name of purity culture. As a woman, she was told that it was required of her to do everything in her power to remain chaste and abstain from anything sexual until marriage. But this expectation wasn't applied equally to everyone. Her body and any attention she received from boys were sources of shame imposed on her. She was constantly watched and made to believe that any misstep would burden others and make her a stumbling block if she didn't strictly follow the purity standards. At no point did she recognize that these dynamics were a manifestation of heteronormative patriarchy, male domination, and the subjugation of women. It never occurred to her that the men's inappropriate behavior stemmed from their assumption that she wouldn't speak up or that their behavior was unacceptable. Blame was something she internalized without considering that it was misplaced. She was convinced that following these rules would earn her a good relationship with God and a great godly husband. But in reality, 
It only reinforced patriarchal ideas and left her feeling vulnerable in the face of powerful white male domination. This travesty of purity culture made her feel isolated, terrified, and locked out of heaven. That woman was me. And I would be curious to hear why, why you think purity culture is actually unethical. I think purity culture is unethical because it alienates us from our bodies, which I think you so perfectly just said there. It creates such a confusion around sex and sexuality that it causes so much harm in the long run. A lot of people, especially now, there seems to be like this growing like anti-hookup culture movement that I'm fine with. If people don't want to hook up with people that they meet on Tinder, like power to you. But within that, that conversation, there seems to be this, this lingering flavor of if you're doing that, you're dirty or you're wrong. And so it creates this, it creates this hierarchy of sexuality and sex. And that there are good, there, there are good ways to honor your body and there are bad ways to honor your body that can be judged externally, not within the self. And it leads people to not be able to trust their own instincts and their own intuition about what is safe and what is right for them. That, that I get to do whatever I want with my body because I feel like it's right. It feels right to me. That's a direct reference to Audre Lorde's The Uses of the Erotic. That what if we went into a place where we, instead of saying this is morally wrong because, we ended up saying this is right because it feels right to me. And we started battling with how that can be actually a good thing. Perhaps we then would be living in a space where we have much more liberation because we're telling people there is an, it is okay to rest. When you need to rest, you don't need to work harder. It is okay to indulge in pleasure because when you feel, it feels right for you to indulge in pleasure and it feels right. And it really leads us to have to question what is right. And that's, that's hard to do. It's much easier to have a list of rules that we just need to follow. So it's a much harder challenge, but it leads to so much more liberation. Thank you for sharing that perspective. And I would yes and that, and also say that a thought that came to mind is that people alienated from their bodies and their desires will act out on those desires in really unhealthy and dangerous ways, potentially. Yes. And well, one think, thing that you, go ahead. Oh, I, I was just going to say, I think that's why, I think that's one of many reasons uh, we see abuses of power in so many religious contexts. Uh, mm -hmm. So much uh, it's, it contributes to uh, sexual abuse and a culture of assault. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that when we certainly leads to assault because people don't know what to do with their bodies. And so we don't understand that if I desire something, that doesn't mean I need to have it because we don't play with our desire. We just shut it down, which again, this is not something that I think the early understandings of that theology were hoping for. Um, I think one thing that I reference a lot is the story of the Bishop Nonest when he sees Pagalia, who eventually becomes St. Pagalia for the first time, she's a prostitute and she's going down the street and she's laughing and she's scantily clad and she's with, all of her servants and his followers cover their eyes 
Bishop Nonis locks eyes on her body and he follows her all the way out of sight. And he says to his followers, didn't the sight of her delight you? It delighted me. The whole message he says is that if we are unable to look at the creation of God and then therefore see God as more great, instead of seeing the creation of God as something that we get to possess, then we are very much misunderstanding the beauty of God's creation. We shouldn't be shutting out God's creation in order to be more holy. We should, we should be working towards embracing all of God's creation and knowing that it is an extension of who God is. And I think that with that, something you said about, you asked me about how we got so out of whack. And that leads me to consider also, I think, celibacy for priests can very easily, if they do not have their own correct guidance on how to handle the choice to not ever have sex, they can demonize their own sexuality and then will therefore, of course, demonize the sexuality of those who are in their church and congregation and teach them that they should be afraid of their sex and sexuality as well. And so it's, it's a fear instead of a honoring of the full capacity of the creation of God. Yeah, I remember the purity movement back in 1989. It was, uh, I hadn't been a Christian very long and, and people then, um, I, it's all new to me. I came from a Catholic background and they were just, uh, there was this purity movement. And back then it was, it was, I just never got it at the time. I thought, this is strange. Fathers were giving their daughters purity rings and on the, on the thing that they would, they would uh, vow to be chaste and pure and whatnot. But, you know, I thought the strangest thing about that was that guys were never said anything to them at all. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's like, you girls are the problem. I just thought that was the funniest thing. And, you know, back then I had met a gal and she was young. She was, uh, oh, 18, and I was uh, 29. And she was pregnant and it wasn't my child, but it was another person's child. And, you know, I, I thought she was so cute. and. She, you know, and we started hanging out, and then she had her baby, and uh, then we started hanging out more after that, and um, we were engaged, and then, uh, boy, you know, we were, I was a leader then in the youth group, and I, I felt so pressured to be a, um, an example that, oh, you know, we, we've been having sex, we've got to go in and we got to talk to the pastor, we got to just stop this so we're not going to be impure. And I'm thinking, you know, we did that like twice and it was so humiliating to me and to her. It was just a horrible thing. And you know, not long ago, I, I uh, was thinking of this gal and I tracked her down. I got a hold of her daughter and her daughter had told me that she, she hadn't heard of me but that every man that she had been with was really abusive to her. I was like, wow. And she became an alcoholic and a drug addict and um, was probably living on the street. And she sent me a picture of her and I was blown away. She looked like she was at least uh, 10 years older than me. She had just up and left. She broke it off with me and she left. She had really had a hard time and uh, it was just horrible for her and I 
I realized that all these years later, how much that had humiliated me and alienated me from the church and how that humiliated her and alienated her. She'd never gone back to church again. Her child wound up being in foster care and she just, uh, yeah, kind of fell away from the whole thing, so. And I want to add, uh, I wanted to share with you a verse from the Tao Te Ching. And yes, mm. as a Christian minister, I think that Christians have a lot to learn and can learn from other spiritual traditions. And mm. <laughs> what, a, what, a, what a concept. Uh, in the Tao Te Ching, it says, when people see some things as beautiful, other things become ugly. When people see some things as good, other things become bad. Being and non-being create each other. And I think we could also add to that that purity and impurity create each other. And so what the challenge, what the real challenge of our faith and spirituality is, is love ourselves, love our bodies, and love each other well, and explore pleasure mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes of embodied experience that it is. So what would you, what would your advice be to people maybe hearing this podcast and they're maybe trying to make sense out of the context that they're maybe starting to question or come out of that imposed purity culture upon them? To connect to your body. And I want to be really clear because I think that what I'm seeing happening that I think can be really bad is that people coming out of purity culture, they hear connect to their body and they just think sexually. So, and I work predominantly with women. So these are women who will start having sex a lot, or they might even get really into uh, masturbation or something like that. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. Go crazy. But what I say connect to your body, I don't just simply mean sexually. I don't just mean your genitals. I also mean your taste. What is your experience with taste? Um, I sight. Notice, like, like, linger in the ideas of what am I tasting that's pleasurable? What am I seeing that's pleasurable? What am I hearing that's pleasurable? What am I feeling that's pleasurable? What are like tapping into our senses and understanding what pleasure is on a very surfaced level. The pleasure of your heat being on when you come inside your house on like a really cold day or a warm cup of tea, or if it's getting hotter, you know, that feeling of walking into the AC after you come inside, come outside from like 80 degree weather, like all of those things, like notice how your body feels and settle into those sensations and those feelings of your body. And rem reminding yourself that your body is your own, that this body is yours. I talk um, to my clients about just like touching your knee and your leg and your arms and like just slowly stroking your arms and your neck and your shoulders and just getting into this space of realizing that this is yours, this body, is yours and this body is holy. And I think when we do that, then we can engage in whatever sexual desires we have in a way that we're very clear on what we want because we're tuning into where our body um, experiences pleasure in these other more subtle ways that I think we sometimes pass up or miss out on. 
and I can hear people coming out of a perhaps fundamentalist context thinking, my body isn't mine, my body is God's. And yet, if, mm-hmm. God, if God is love, we have to remember love isn't possession. If God is love, then then God is the love that you offer to your body in the way that you just described so beautifully. And so, but also it makes me think of St. Teresa's, right? I'm sorry. I interrupted you. Go ahead. Oh no, I, I, I was finished. Let's hear about St. Teresa's. Uh, I, I know what you're going to say. But, I, let's hear about what, what, uh, what well she- in her prayer, she says, God has no hands and feet, but mine. And so when we say our body is God's, it's it's a it's a intertwining oneness, right? It's that you are Christ on earth. And so yes, this is God's body. But it also is a reminder that like it's not because remember, we're not committing heresies here. We're not separating your soul from your body. Yourself is not separated from that. You are God in that way. You are Christ. When in the consciousness of the intertwining oneness that you just said. Yes, I, I said, exactly. I, I, the, the, uh, the meditation teacher, Baba Ramdas, he said, it's, uh, it's okay to think that you're Christ as long as you know that everyone else is Christ too. That's the whole point. It's not about me exactly. and myself, but all of us together and the great love that is expressed in the, the interrelated web of life, you know? And, the, and when we live for that and an acknowledgement of our interdependence, yeah, Christ is a lot more uh, profound than uh, the patriarchal construct that we've been fed. I, I think that that's really true. And I think that, so I don't want to tell, tell you that your body isn't God's, but it's no more God's than you are divine. Know that it is, it, when you look at your hand, it's not that this is God's hand and I don't have a say over it. It's know that this is the hand of God. Beautiful. And that, and that I think leads us to a much more expansive understanding that then when we interact with another person, we are also interacting with God. And to treat our body as the divine. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe to our podcast and leave your comments below. You can find Forest Grove United Church of Christ on Facebook and Instagram. Or you can email us at podcast at fgucc.org. We'd love to hear from you. Have a blessed day.